there was encouragement, but there was also a lot of discouragement because it's obviously not an easy job to have. Um, it's perhaps more stable if you work in an institution, um, but it's generally a job that few people succeed in or that few people are able to sustain themselves with. So that's why perhaps uh, some people or paternal figures might discourage it. How to make a career as an art curator. Giorgia von Albertini found her way. Amongst others, she worked with a Swiss artist, Not Vital. And meanwhile, she curated several shows around the world, including Brazil, the US, Chile, uh, England, and Switzerland. Now she's just launching a new publication on Mexican artist Martin Soto Clement. Welcome to Swiss Art Biz. I'm Tanya Koenig. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Georgia today in the studio. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great having you. You've been busy uh, amongst other um, by working on this publication. Yeah, so this is my uh, newest publication. Um, it's a survey publication on uh, Martin Soto Clement's work. Martin is a Mexican contemporary artist and um, it's his first kind of scholarly publication. So I've contributed a lot of text myself, but also invited other writers to um, write about his work. So it's really a kind of thorough and in-depth uh, publication on his work that took a lot of time to make, but it's finally here. So I'm very happy about that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So you're launching it uh, in Zurich on the 8th of February? Exactly. So we, we are doing various uh, book launches. We started in uh, Mexico, uh, Martin's uh, home city, um, and are launching in Zurich on the 8th of February uh, at Karma International, the gallery. Um, and concomitantly, we're also uh, staging an exhibition uh, with uh, kind of Martin's uh, newest works. Yeah. Great. So we'll talk about that collaboration a bit later on, um, because I would like to go back to the beginnings of how you started your uh, career. Mm -hmm. um, you studied political science and art history at the University of Zurich from 2011 to 2014. Um, was it always clear to you that you wanted to, to become an art creator? I think it wasn't perhaps always clear to me that I wanted to become a curator, but the arts in general have always been very fascinating to me and have always unleashed a kind of positive feeling about society and humanity and like human production in a way. So it, it was always something that was very fascinating to me, but I also early on understood that I'm not an artist myself. Um, I was very interested in art history and perhaps also history at large. I started politics, which was a great kind of way to acquire very solid general knowledge about um, the world we live in. And uh, while studying art history and while graduating in Zurich, um, I think my interest solidified and it became clear to me that I love to write about art, that I love to work and be with artists. Um, so kind of that career path gradually took shape, I would say. So there was not really a key moment or was there? 
I think there might have been several key moments, be that exhibitions that really uh, made a lasting impact on me or, or, or professors or texts or, or people I worked with. So I think there, there was maybe a chain of key moments that solidified this path, yeah. Yeah, in 2017, uh, I asked you uh, for another interview what opening doors means to you. Mm -hmm. um, and you gave me a really beautiful answer um, about how, how other people also helped you basically enter their world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I've had a few uh, key figures um, in the years, like during my studies and after my studies. So one of them was uh, Bija Kuriger, who is, of course, uh, one of the greatest uh, European curators and writers. So she invited me to kind of build her archive. And in doing so, I studied her whole trajectory as a curator and her whole exhibition history and her texts. So it was a kind of second studies in a way. So I was really able to deepen my knowledge in art history, but also to kind of witness firsthand what it means to be working as a curator. So I, I, I saw what methodologies she applied. I saw how she built relationships with specific artists over a longer period of years. So you might know that Biche um, had uh, two artists in specific that she worked with very closely and over many years, um, there Merit Oppenheim and Sigma Polke. So Beecha certainly was uh, a very important figure for me because I learned a lot from her and I learned a lot in, in the process of building her archive. Um, and then another important figure for me was, um, and still is, uh, Not Vital, with whom I've worked for nearly six years. So I was a Not's a studio manager and I was a curator at his foundation. And Not is quite a special artist in the sense that his practice is really global. Mm -hmm. So he has um, studios in various countries, not only in Switzerland, but also in Brazil and uh, in China, in Beijing. Um, he produces his works in a multitude of places. Um, and he also realizes projects all over the world. So with him, I kind of stepped into a very international and global scene of contemporary art. And I also really learned about aspects that were before perhaps less known to me, which are aspects of production. So I was really involved. So not as you know, some of not sculptures are very big, some are made in marble, others are um, realized in bronze or so he uses a variety of materials and he always travels to the countries and places where there is most knowledge about that material to then produce um, with specialists. So I, I learned a lot about the making of art. And in a way, this very specific knowledge then also informed my scholarly approach to writing about specifically Knott's work, but also other artists' work. So as a art historian mm -hmm. who kind of analyzes the practice, I always try to keep an eye on how the work is made and in what kind of sociopolitical conditions that uh, takes place and how that then in turn informs the finite art object. Yeah. And you were able to, to work with, let's say, Bice and, and Not Vital right after uh, your, your bachelor or very soon, mm. right? So. Yeah. <laughs> 
I wonder, were there times that you also were scared because um, they were already so established within the art world and you were at the beginning of your career? I think I wasn't really scared, luckily, but I had a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and I think that respect is it's also really important as a young person to kind of respect older generations, but also to not be scared of one's own kind of worldview, which might necessarily differ from another generation's worldview. So I had and still have a lot of respect for them and, and, and they taught me so much. Um, and I was qu quite lucky actually to start working with them at such a young age. Vita, mm -hmm. for example, I simply wrote her a letter saying how much I admire her work and if there will be any way to collaborate with her. So I kind of dared to take initiative and, and got lucky. Oh, I love that. I, yeah, that's actually the great. <laughs> it's a very unconventional way of, of finding a job. Perhaps. So you just thought I would love to work with her. Let's, yeah, because she was, for, I mean, her way of writing and her way of, of doing shows is really unique and really amazing. Uh -huh. and she has this way of, I mean, art can at times be elitist, right? Uh -huh. And I think she has this quite unique capacity of doing really high level intellectual exhibitions, but still rendering them appealing and accessible to a general public. So there is always an element of humor there. So the, there are kind of various levels through which one can connect. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very important in terms of cultural production and very appealing. And she wrote back immediately or how did that work then? Uh, yeah, then we met and slowly through discussions, um, um, she spoke a lot about her archive and that kind of being a project that she had been wanting to tackle but never had the time to and, and so gradually we agreed that I'd be um, taking care of that and actually um, this weekend at the Engadin Art Talks she will launch a publication called C is for Curator mm -hmm. which is a publication that uh, Dora Imhof made about her life's work so part of my base work around her archive is now also contained in a publication yeah so that's really nice so a lot of um current projects kind of popping up <laughs> <laughs> all the time um no i mean that's interesting just to hear also because i think many people sometimes just don't dare to do stuff and sometimes you can just ask um yeah worst case you get a no hear a no yeah and then you move on and do something else mm -hmm. yeah and then um, after that, three years after your bachelor, you did your master in curat uh, curatorial studies in New York. Uh, so I was just wondering what happened between the bachelor and master, but I think that was what you just told. Yeah, I was uh, I was working with Biche, I was working with Nod, I was also doing exhibitions in South America. Mm -hmm. um, it all started with an exhibition in Chile and then I met various artists that I then also showed uh, at the Biennale de Bolivia in La Paz and so forth. So I somehow through various um, South America trips, I got involved in this uh, different art scenes, uh, specifically in Chile, Bolivia and Peru um, and staged various exhibitions there, which was really great for me because it was the art scenes there are very different, of course, from what we know in, in Switzerland or in Zurich, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are countries where there is no um, or very little government funding for the arts. Um, so young artists have to be in a way much more inventive. And um, they also really have 
um, a scene or a community that is perhaps a little different or stronger than w what we are used to um, in countries like Switzerland. So it was it was really formative and very nice for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I always tended to do um, a mix of things mm -hmm. as much as that was possible. So whenever I had holidays or whenever I accumulated enough overtime, I would go to South America to do a project there. And so I, I it, it really enriched my way of of thinking about art and mm -hmm. also of kind of understanding and acknowledging that uh, yeah, art history is not just about the art of the West, right? Yeah, which is something that is more and more acknowledged mm -hmm. from a wider um, population mm -hmm. that that some people still don't take for granted. Mm -hmm. And you also said that there uh, somehow it, it might be a bit more difficult for an artist because there's less funding. Is Was it something that kind of inspired also inspired you because now you're also working as an independent curator might I mean from the outside people might also think wow you also have to take risk mm -hmm. to do that because you're not employed by a museum or anything like that uh, do you think that your travel somehow inspired you to be so fearless and bold yeah. <laughs> or you don't even think about it I, I feel so natural somehow I mean I'm not sure if it's connected to the travels or if it, it's just an unconscious mm. decision or one just takes is mm. I don't know some people are more risk averse and others are less risk averse mm -hmm. um, but yeah it's definitely not easy right uh, um, the the art industry or art world is a very special industry that differs a lot from other industries and there is a lot of money changing hands in the art market right but the the group of people or the workers that are really kind of underpaid and undervalued are is the intellectual labor, right? And a lot of my work is uh, intellectual labor. So if we speak about books or exhibitions, it's certainly not the most well-paid job in the industry, but somehow inventiveness and, and the fact that I've always done a variety of things mm -hmm. helped me to find an equilibrium and, and, and to make it work. How long have you been independent now? And I mean, it's I've been independent for two, three years mm -hmm. and I had not as my biggest client for a while. And now that phased out and I have more and more new clients. So it was a very uh, organic and natural transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how d how do you decide um, which projects you take on? Um, it feels like if we're, we're looking at this book, uh, you told me prior that you actually started, ten, I think, 10 years ago. Uh, I, I, I met Martin uh, 10 years ago, actually in Zurich, because he started to work with Karma International, um, the gallery uh, headed by uh, Marina Olsen and Karolina Dankov in uh, 2009. So that was his first show. And I met him shortly thereafter through uh, Marina, mm -hmm. who is a common friend, um, and, and we were friends, we spoke a lot about art, uh, I got to know his practice, and then with the years I started to write about his work, and I wrote about his work also on the occasion of various exhibitions. Um, I wrote my thesis at the Center for Curatorial Studies in New York about his practice, and we staged an exhibition in New York. And in a way, this book is like the culmination of many years of friendship and, and, and research. So it's hard for people ask me, how long did it take you to um, write this book? And it's, it's a hard question for me to answer 
because uh, there was a lot of kind of unconscious preparatory work going on and it, it's, it's based on, yeah, if you will, years of research. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of you meet someone you might like to work, you do some stuff and maybe it ends up in a publication or in a in a in a show or Yeah, I mean it, it really depends. Sometimes I'm I'm approached by an institution or a gallery who asks me to propose an exhibition mm -hmm. and, and, and these exhibitions when when approached by an institution or gallery are often uh, group shows or kind of thematic exhibitions. Which you did for Hauser and Wirt. Uh, yeah, for example, exactly. Um, and sometimes it's also artists who approach me. Let's mm. say they they have an exhibition scheduled somewhere, but would like to work with me as a curator, or they have a project they want to realize, but have no venue yet to mm. realize it in. So, so I also mediate uh, in these regards or provide advisory. Um, and often I am fascinated by practices so much that I like the repeated engagement with mm -hmm. the artist. So I feel it's really beneficial for research to kind of have the opportunity to not just do one show or write one essay about the artist, but if possible to kind of have this repeated mm -hmm. engagement, because I think it really deepens your knowledge of the practice and it also deepens your knowledge of how the practice evolves, mm -hmm. right? Like no artist's career is linear. Or <laughs> yeah, or, or like nothing stays necessarily the same, right? Mm -hmm. Artists evolve and, 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 and their topics evolve, uh, their means of making evolve. Um, so I find it really interesting to trace these trajectories and to kind of deepen my knowledge of an artist's practice. Mm -hmm. It was interesting what you said about um, that uh, intellectual work within the art world is the one that is maybe least paid, just because this is also Swiss art biz about business yeah. and, and, <laughs> and career. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking also when you work with an artist or it just happens that you, you, you somehow collaborate and then it might end up in, in something else, um, then there's a lot of unpaid work as well. I mean, there's, I guess there's also things that you just do because you like doing or I mean uh, I don't out of for free yeah. <laughs> so I've been very tough on that one from very early on because mm -hmm. uh, some people do somehow work for free either because they need to to kind of advance their career or, or for other reasons but I always found that uh, in a capitalist economy no one should work for free and I always thought it was important to assert the value of my work. So um, I really stick to that. But of course, especially being independent or having your own office or practice, there are moments where you need to basically invest in your own career, right? So you take a risk, you begin a collaboration and it's perhaps unsure where that might take you, but you push for it and you believe in it and then you take it to the next level. So mm -hmm. that certainly happens, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what does a typical day look like in your life? Probably there is no typical day, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I actually love it that I love the change and I love this kind of multitude of things that's happening. I mean, now, of course, with the pandemic, I had a little more routine than I usually do. Mm -hmm. So for many years, I've been traveling quite a lot and somehow it was felt luxurious to me <laughs> to have more time at home. Um, this book is also baby of the pandemic in a way. So I, I, I did most of the work uh, during COVID on it. Um, a typical day certainly entails 
some kind of work on my desk at the computer. So that's part of it. Um, it might entail research or traveling, phone calls. Uh, it really depends. Mm -hmm. So if I'm installing a show, I, I'm really focusing on that and try to cut out as much of other things as possible to really focus on install. Um, if, if I'm writing, I also try to kind of block longer periods for that because it's hard to like write for an hour, run to a meeting and write for another half an hour because mm -hmm. you, you kind of fall in and out of your subject. Um, but other than that, I, I love being mobile and I love uh, meeting very different people and, and, and working on different projects. Mm -hmm. So you just said that about writing. I, I mean, I know that myself, sometimes you just have to focus. Yeah. Uh, so you need to sometimes immerse yourself uh, in your work. Yeah. To... Yeah. Uh -huh. Sometimes I refuse answering emails for a day or two to just focus on the writing because yeah. I, I, I feel like I have to to develop this kind of sensibility or this ability to, to make connections between different aspects of mm -hmm. an artist's practice and to really be analytical about the work. One needs to kind of really be focused on the work. And for that, I think time is, is needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So writing takes time. Then you, you also mentioned now the pandemic, that this uh, book is basically a baby of the pandemic. I was wondering how did these months affect uh, yeah, your work and, and from yeah traveling so much, uh, or is there something that you think uh, you're taking with you from this time? I mean, it affected my work in various positive and negative ways. So, for example, in terms of logistics or bureaucracy, it was a nightmare because I had several shows that were postponed twice, and then you have to realize them under very difficult conditions. Um, international projects were quite hard because shipment was difficult right sometimes uh, there weren't enough cargo planes or cargo ships to get the works from a to b um so i think every one of us in the industry be that uh, museums galleries artists or curators had to learn to deal with more kind of uncontrollable or unknown factors than before um but i also found it fascinating to realize how in a way flexible humans can be like i think we adapted a lot mm -hmm. and we learned a lot as well um so that's certainly one part and the other part i think is that it enabled me to slow down so i had this luxury as i said before of being able to be home more and being able to take time to ride and and, and yeah so mm -hmm. there was just kind of twofold uh, nature of the whole thing and what about all these um digital um things that popped up during that time i mean now for, for art fairs the the online viewing rooms or now also this rise of, of nfts or mm -hmm. I, I mean it's a lot um but maybe what do you make out of that or does it even have an impact on your work i mean i think in in a very general way, I think that these last few years, be that in the arts or in other sectors, accelerated a lot of developments that were perhaps already ongoing before, right? So um, the arts have always been a very archaic or under-digitized industry mm -hmm. compared to others. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good that we catch up a little. Um, 
so I think the whole development is is, is necessary and uh, natural considering the world we live in, um, which doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the real experience, uh, the real life encounter. And uh, I don't think one replaces the other, but I think um, it's good to have both. And I think once everything returns to normal, that's what we will have, right? Mm -hmm. to, to be able to choose um, how to interact with art or with customers or, or with audiences, mm -hmm. yeah. When you go to a museum or a gallery, art fair, what do you look out for? Where I mean, <laughs> it depends. Museums and art fairs are very different mm -hmm. for me because the art fair is also, I mean, if you're with a collector, of course, you look out for a specific work for them or, or, or but it's also a, a moment for the industry to gather, right? Mm -hmm. So you see your colleagues, you see uh, people from another continent or country that you didn't have the occasion to see otherwise in the year. So it's it's moments for lots of conversations and encounters and updates. And, and so it's always, art fairs are always very um, busy and energetic, whereas museums for me are a place where I love to be alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that when I'm alone, I really have the occasion to um, take time to look at stuff. So I also often go back to museum or gallery after an opening, because at an opening it's always hard to uh, really devote time to what you're seeing, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so the three are very different experiences, but I enjoy them all all mm -hmm. in, the, in their own ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we spoke a bit about your, your beginnings, uh, your current work, uh, now looking ahead, um, how much do you plan in advance? Um, I mean, now you have this in February, uh, the book launch, <laughs> um, but then beyond that, or is it you don't even think you just work and it? It's a bit of both because some institutions um, schedule their exhibitions two years in advance, mm -hmm. two years in advance. So you might have some projects that are in the future that you know of and that are scheduled. And then there are always kind of more spontaneous things that happen uh, in between. So it's a mix of both, which I like in a way. So it's always good to have a few fixed points mm -hmm. along the way, right? Um, but then I also um, try to stay open for other things happening. Mm -hmm. How many projects do you have at the same time? Can you even say? Um, it's hard to say, but I would say around uh, maybe six different projects mm -hmm. at the same time. So you have some writing, you have a show, maybe you advise an artist on another matter or you... Yeah, there are always different things going on mm -hmm. at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And are you thinking about expand, like having a team that works for you as well? So right now I have uh, project-based collaborators. Mm -hmm. um, so for this book, I worked uh, with a very nice colleague of mine who's based in New York um, for other things. I work with other people that are specific to the project. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it would be nice to, to have support or to have a collaborator, yes, when time is right. Right. And uh, now thinking about someone that somehow wants to to maybe go the path um, that you did or, you know, become an art creator. Is there ad an advice that you could give them or maybe was there an advice someone gave to you? Did people even did people encourage you on your way? There was encouragement, but there was also a lot of discouragement because <laughs> it's obviously not an easy job to have. Um, it's perhaps more stable if you work in an institution. 
um, but it's generally a job that few people succeed in or that few people are able to sustain themselves with. So that's why perhaps uh, some people or paternal figures might discourage it. But um, so they were afraid that you might not make it or, or what people say, like, are you crazy or yeah, or, or people try to advise you to go for something more stable or more solid or, or whatever. But uh, in the end, it didn't matter much to me and I kind of did my thing and I'm very happy about it. I don't regret it at all. Um, I think I'm not sure about specific advice, but I think it's always important to kind of understand what one really wants and to also believe in this trajectory and put in the work, work hard. I think, I mean, I work hard and I think it's also what enabled me to do the things I do. I think it's really the crux is kind of to find something that you love and love enough to work really hard mm -hmm. for to it. also sacrifice then. Yeah. But also when you love your work, you do it with pleasure. So I, I think I'm very privileged or lucky to have found something that I really care about and that gives me a lot of energy to kind of pursue it yeah so you don't think about retiring no <laughs> i'm quite young still no i know I, no no i i, I you know i i'm just saying that because uh, i have people in my age well, we are more or less the same age i think uh who tell me i yeah, know once i'm retired and i always think i never think about that i think i'm gonna work until i die yeah so but it's perhaps because for you also your work or your practice is part of your identity, right? And as soon as you identify with what you're doing, it becomes part of yourself and, and you don't even want to dissociate from it. But it's funny that what you speak about retirement, because my uh, little brother, when he was still a kid and people would ask him, like, what do you want to become one day? He would say retired. Really? Because <laughs> <laughs> he saw our grandfather and he thought, oh, it's such a nice life. I just want to be retired. That's amazing. <laughs> but so I can imagine that for you, probably you also think probably you're going to work until you can work. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, the job like I'm doing it now, this like multitude of projects, mm -hmm. and normally lots of traveling and, and, and kind of constant flexibility um, is, of course, something that takes a lot of energy and that is easier possible um, while you're still young or don't have a family and so forth. Um, so I don't know if I will keep on working until I'm 18 the same way that I work now, but uh, I definitely will keep on working in some way. I think it's also nice to find ways through which your practice can adapt to different times or, or different moments in your life. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see what, what will happen. Great. We're curious as well to see uh, <laughs> what you have for us. Um, so besides um, this launch, what else can you announce? Is there anything else you can announce? So in conjunction to the launch, we'll have um, an exhibition at mm -hmm. Karma. Um, the main focus of the exhibition will be how, um, or maybe I have to elaborate a bit on Martin's work in order to, to make it more understandable. So Martin's practice began in a very performative way and in a way that is very much tied to objects. So he had very limited means and he started to collect objects on the streets and in his surroundings and to combine and manipulate them. Um, in performative manner. And something that's really fascinating about his work is that 
all of his transformations or nearly all of them are reversible. So there is kind of an economy embedded in that, right? It's like about not producing something new, but taking pre-existing things and to create a new situation, if you will, with them, but one that is reversible. So everything is ephemeral. So if you see on the cover, um, there is this um, work that consists of two jewelry boxes kind of biting into each other. It's called El Amor es Cannibalismo Sin Dientes, which means love is cannibalism without teeth. So it's a very kind of emblematic work for him, right? It's, it's kind of sensual or erotic, but it's also humorous. It's very simple, but it's also effective. Um, so departing from this object-based work, um, Martin wanted to somehow approach painting, but he's not necessarily a painter, right? He works with objects and he likes um, the ephemeral and the poetic and, and, and the humorous. So he started to place um, women's tights, kind of fetish material, right? And the material that very much alludes to the body. So he placed women's tights on canvas. So it's like legs extending over the canvas. So he found a very iconic way to kind of hint towards the female body and hint towards the whole history of um, the female nude in painting, but without really depicting it, only by alluding to it and without making a permanent mask mark on the canvas. Um, so the exhibition takes this very iconic group of works of his as a point of departure, because departing from these works with tights on canvas, um, he then started much later in his career to experiment with uh, tights as stencils. Mm -hmm. So he took tights, he kind of stretched them over the canvas and then work with a mixture of um, charcoal pigment and egg tempera um, to kind of imprint the memory of the tight onto canvas. So he puts the tight, he puts the pigment, he takes the tight away and the kind of trace of the tight remains. And it's a technique that kind of alludes to the avant-garde technique of the photogram. So he calls them fantogram. <laughs> so uh, the exhibition will kind of trace this trajectory from these iconic works uh, with tights on canvas to um, some photographs that he did and then to these very new uh, pigment-based uh, works, which is kind of the closest he ever came to painting mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. actually, actually painting. painting. Yeah. So, Great. Yeah. So we can see that uh, starting February the 8th at Karma in Zurich. Um, will there be anywhere else if someone is not in Zurich? Anywhere um, else in so there? before that, on uh, on the 3rd of February, we are launching uh, the book in Rome uh, with a gallery called Tidue Nove Tre. So we'll be in Rome for that and then we'll launch it in Zurich and have the exhibition in Zurich. And then on the 18th, uh, Martin has his next exhibition with Union Pacific in London. Um, and then after that, we also launched a book in Paris with Andrin Chipchenko. So we do a little tour in Europe. Amazing. So uh, if you're interested in Martin Soto Clement's work, uh, there are a few places you can visit and uh, we'll be following you as well, uh, your work. If you're interested uh, more um, what Georgia von Albertini does, you can also follow her on Instagram. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, all the best. Good. to you as well thank you <laughs> <laughs> and of course you can listen to this podcast on spotify and apple podcast or you can watch the video on youtube make sure to subscribe and um, see you next time bye